So let's thank the Lord for that, and then we're going to commit our time in the Word together. Father, we do want to thank you so much for what you did in the hearts of people there in Belize and in our hearts as we were able to serve and help and share and minister and love. God, I pray for those who came to know you. There are some that are coming to my mind right now. God, would you strengthen their hearts before you right now, even now, pull their hearts to you in a special way to want you to really hang on to you in the, the things that face them in their life now. Father, I also want to pray just as we go into your word here for a few moments. God, help us to understand again who you are and what you want to do. Help us to listen to what you have to say by your spirit. And so I pray that you'll take what's of yourself and burn it into our hearts for, for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. As I was thinking about this, one of the things uh, I've been thinking about is just rescues. It seems like most people love stories of rescues. Do you? You like stories of rescues? I mean, you know, the idea of somebody in, in trouble and somebody helping them in some way, you know, jumping into a lake or whatever. Uh, it's just there's something compelling about somebody being rescued. And so I was thinking, trying to help us think through these things, uh, three movies that I think of, there are many more, that uh, really show the idea of rescue. The first one is called um, the 33. Uh, the 33 is a story of Chilean miners. This happened a few years ago uh, where they were way, way underground. There was a cave in and they were trapped. And if you've seen the movie or read the book, you understand the terror that was there. They had no way to get them out. And they finally were able to drill a little hole uh, they were able to drop food and water down to them so they were able to survive that way. And eventually dug a bigger bore uh, down past everything and in, in some sort of little capsule they were able to put a person in and bring them up and, and all 33 were rescued. It's a tremendous story of rescue and of, of human ingenuity and resilience of human spirit. It, it's really a great story. Another one uh, is The Finest Hours. It's a story, it's a true story again of a it happened in 1952, I believe. Uh, there was a, a big storm off the coast of Massachusetts, and there was a ship that had run aground, actually kind of broke in half. And the story is partly about uh, there was one of the guys there on the ship who was trying to help keep everything together and keep people calm and like that. And, and the rest of the story is about a Coast Guard, uh, one guy especially who was tasked with going out and trying to rescue them. And he went out, and it's in this little bitty boat, has no reason to be out there in something that small and such a fierce storm, uh, and it's all about that. I'm going to spoil the story for you. They make it. It's a great story. And again, just, uh, it's tense, it's intense, uh, and just them working together and giving of themselves and just so much about the rescue. It's, it's an, another really good one. One that's familiar to us maybe uh, from a few years ago, Schindler's List. You may have watched it or you may have read the book. And it's a story of Oskar Schindler, who was a guy who went to Krakow, Poland, during the beginning of World War II, 
And uh, he, went, he was profiteering off the war. war. Uh, he was not necessarily a nice guy until he saw what was happening with the Jewish population and what was going on and being taken to concentration camps and learning that they were death camps. And so Oscar Schindler spent that whole time of history during World War II of getting the workers in his factory who were Jewish and helping them escape and using his own money. In fact, I believe his company went bankrupt because of everything was going. But in the end, uh, by his efforts, uh, there were uh, 1,200 Jewish people who were rescued from the death camps. An incredible story. I mean, it's a hard story because in it you see the evilness of mankind. But you all see, also see the, the, the goodness of human heart. And, and, and it's a compelling story of people being rescued. But you know what? That's not the only rescue story there is. There are other rescue stories and actually far more significant because these rescue stories have to do with our souls, our lives. It, it's not a story that lasts for two hours on a movie screen. It is a story that lasts for eternity and is a genuine, true rescue. We've been looking at, uh, uh, yeah, every story, his name, and the whole thing with that. God is at the heart of the story, and here he is, certainly, uh, he's at the heart of our story as he seeks to redeem us. And so we want to look at that. You know, I mean, the Bible has several stories of just really plain about people who are rescued in their lives, their souls. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is, would be the Apostle Paul, I suppose. I mean, here was a guy, he was Saul, he was persecuting the church, he was uh, probably guilty of murder, certainly assenting to the murder of Stephen, uh, and all that, and yet God rescues him. Or Peter, you remember Peter. I mean, Peter was the one who denied Jesus there that night, and yet Jesus rescues him. I mean, there are great stories like that. What we're going to look at today is going to, I think, is one of the best, if not the best and most astounding rescue of all times. It's about a guy, he did not bring anything to his story because he could not bring anything to his story. In terms of the people around him, he was a nobody. In terms of society, Pastor Mark would say that society would have considered him a less than. That's who he was. We're going to read about him. We're going to read in Matthew 27, uh, first of all, and then in Luke 23. Matthew 27, verses 36 to 44. I think it's up here on the screen. Okay? And then, if not, you want to follow along in your Bible. Matthew um, 27 here, first of all, 36 to 44. He says this, And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. The him there is Jesus. This is the crucifixion and, and everything that's going on there. Above his head, above Jesus' head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. 
In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And then let's go to Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 23. And there Luke tells the same story with a few different words. Luke 23 verses 32 to 43. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they, they divided up his clothes for casting, by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, then the soldiers, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written, a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The character, the great rescue, is the repentant thief. This is a story of grace. Francis Chan wrote a book, uh, pastor, author, he wrote uh, Crazy Love. I would suggest you title this one, Crazy Grace, because of what he does here. Uh, this is a story of grace through and through. And let me say this, this is your story too. This is your story if you have trusted Christ as your Savior. It is your story because you are a recipient of His grace. He has rescued you. And this is your invitation if you have not trusted Christ. It's your invitation to come and hear and see what Jesus did with this thief, this repentant thief. And you can embrace Christ as well. I'm going to look at this in three simple things together. The character of him and the character of some others. The cry for help. And then the covenant promise of Jesus. Very simple here. First of all, the character. Looking at the thief first. What we know about him is that he had stolen. Because in Matthew and in Mark and in John, they describe him and them as robbers, as thieves. But there has to be more to it than that. They obviously had done that. But, but thievery, robbery, was not a capital offense. I mean, it, you could get punished if you got caught. You might even lose a hand. That's possible. But you wouldn't be crucified simply for robbery. And so you look at there, and you say, there has to be something else going on here. That's why I believe Luke uses the term criminal 
It's a, it's a better term maybe to show a little bit about what they were. They were under a capital punishment. It had to be more than that. Now, we don't know what it was. I'm going to suggest a couple things that are possible. What is possible, first of all, is that it may have been someone like Barabbas. You remember Barabbas? Barabbas was the one who Pilate said, you know, do you want to choose between Barabbas and Jesus? And they said, give us Barabbas, let him go. Barabbas was a bad guy. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. And uh, that may have been what these guys were. Who knows? They may have been, may have been a part of his whole gang. We, we don't know that. But, but being under the penalty of death, being there, they had to have done some pretty bad things. Was it possible they were insurrectionists? I think it's very possible. I think it's likely. I think it's likely they were guilty of murder at some point because they even says, we're guilty and we deserve this. Whatever the case is, they weren't nice guys. Okay, they, they weren't in polite company. They were probably looked down in society very, very much. And what I see as a heart there with them is, it's like anybody who is involved in any sort of a lifestyle that seeks only their own, maybe to the, to the hurt of others. They're, they're very self-serving. It's all about them. And that seems to be part of what their whole heart was. That's what led them to the place where they are. And in all this, they also, they hurl insults on Jesus. They're hanging there on the cross the same. They're probably cursing and yelling and hurling insults at Jesus. Why? Well, maybe it's out of anger, out of fear. Obviously, they've heard what has been said about him and said, why don't you help yourself, help us? But they were there because of their own sin, because of their own self. Not like Jesus. But there are other people in the story, and, and Matthew talks about them, and I think we need to look at that, because it's not just the picture of the thieves, although that may be enough. He also talks there about the people who were going by. The people who were going by, and they were mocking him. They were yelling insults at him. They were saying, hey, you said you would destroy the temple and build it in three days. If that's true, bring yourself down. You know, the word I think of when I read that, it's the word derisive. I don't even know if we use that word very much anymore. But, but the idea derisive is expressing contempt or ridicule. It's like, ha, ha, look at what you've done. It, that's what they're like. There is no compassion here. As they walk by, as they see him, I think as they go by, they're probably in their mind as they're yelling, it's not me up there. At least it's not me. That's their heart, their heart attitude. You know, I was reading in my quiet time this week, and I was struck with, it's in 1 John chapter 2. And it's, it's like, he says, like, this is the heart Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 11, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I mean, that was their heart. They would have said they were good people. They would have said they were religious people. But they had no love. Their hearts are in darkness and 
So they hurl insults at him. There are people who are, they're self-satisfied. Because after all, I'm not the one hanging up on that cross. There are people today who mock and are scornful against faith, against Christ, against Christianity. They despise those things. And you may have read about them or maybe you've talked to them. I have. And I don't know exactly why they despise those things. I think sometimes it's because the Scriptures declare very firmly who they are and what they're like, same as it does for us. And they don't exactly like hearing that. I think there are some, they've said, because Christians think they're so much better than everybody else. And I hope that's not the case for us. You know, Paul wrote to the Colossians. And as he's writing to them and he's reminding them what these Colossian believers were like. And he said, you know, he was talking about their life and what they were with their deceit and their lusts and their anger and the way they responded towards God. And he said, and some of you were like that. That's what some of us were. We thought we were self-satisfied. We thought we were good enough. We didn't particularly want to pay attention to all that God had said, but God, in His grace, showed us the truth about ourselves. The thief was satisfied in himself. These people are self-satisfied. And the last ones there, we can't overlook. There were religious leaders going by. And you would think that the religious leaders would be ones with some sort of compassion. But they were the ones who had him put up there. They were the ones who hated him. They were the ones who said, we want him crucified. And so they go by, and again, they hurl out insults. They mock. They sneer. They said, he said he's the son of God. If he is the son of God, let him come down. Then we will believe. They were hearts full of arrogance, full of unbelief, believing that somehow because of their station in life and status in life, that somehow God accepted them because of that. And that was not true. That's the character of the people in the story here. Their spiritual condition, as you look at it, their spiritual, they were self-satisfied. They were self-reliant. They were self-assured. The key word in all that is self. It was all about them. I would suggest that every person in this story who sees Jesus has a great problem and a great need. The great problem is that their sins have separated them from God. That's what the scriptures declare. The great need is that they cannot do anything about it by themselves. And as the people walked by, they missed it. As the religious leaders walked by, they didn't see it. The thief, the one thief, is the only one who recognized his need and who the Redeemer is. And so, he cries out. There is a cry for help in uh, Luke 23, 40 to 42. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That word remember me is a cry. It's a desperate cry for help. It is the cry of, a, of a, someone hanging on the edge of the cliff, calling out for help. It's a desperate cry of someone, their boat is turned over out in the middle of a lake, and they're hanging on, calling for help. Yeah, you may have cried out for help. You may have been desperate. I've been in a few situations where I felt like I was really in desperate need. <laughs> One of them, I was uh, teaching rappelling. You know, rappelling is a descending down a cliff with ropes. I was in Colorado. I was at a camp. And... Um, we were at a cliff, and if you can imagine the cliff, it kind of came out and went like that. So in order to get off safely, as you go out on the edge, if you do that, you have to jump backwards. And it's fairly exhilarating. It's a little scary. And we use a safety system. We use a belay rope. And so when we're there, we have all sorts of these uh, calls that we do to make sure everybody is safe. So we got to the place where the guy who has me on belay, I say, uh, ready to repel. And he says, repel. That means I can go. He's ready. And so I've been explaining everything. All the kids are ready. And I jump back. And he forgot to let the rope go. And I flip upside down. Now, I'm here to tell you, that is not the most exciting place to... Well, it's a very exciting place to be. It, I was desperate. I was going, help, help me. I'm trying to get my feet under me. And of course, all the campers, they are really, they're really concerned. They come running over and take out their cameras and taking pictures. It's a, <laughs> we, we, we can be desperate and, and here. This is a word, remember me as a cry, God... I need you. Jesus, I need you. It is two things very simply. It is a confession. It is a confession or understanding who he is. He knew what he was like. He knew what he had done. He knew what his sins were. He knew that he deserved to be dying for those things. He said it. And that crying out, remember me, is the, the confession, I believe, of all oh, that God, I have sinned desperately before you. And those of us who know Christ have all been there. We have been at some place in our lives where we cry out to God because we know that in and of ourselves, we can never rescue ourselves ever. His confession of who he is, and then the belief. Remember me, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I, I don't know how he knew all that he knew. I don't know that he knew everything. I, I know that he knew that Jesus, I believe, is Christ. I mean, he says that. Uh, the, as they were mocking him even, they understood that. I think they understood uh, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he did provide forgiveness for sins, and, and that forgiveness is found in Christ only. Now, does he know because he saw Jesus somewhere in the last three years? Possibly. They knew, and they called him the Christ. They knew something. But you know what? One thing you do see here, maybe it pulls it all together. As they're being crucified there, as the nails are being driven in, as they're being put up on those crosses, what, remember what Jesus said? Remember that? He says this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
And I think maybe that part of that whole expression worked in this guy's heart, the idea of forgiveness. I mean, instead of laying there and cursing and crying and yelling, he's saying, Father, forgive them. And in some way, somehow, this thief understood that. He confesses this is what he was like. Remember me, I believe you. Everyone needs to come to that place in our lives, every one of us, where we know and we believe that we desperately need Jesus because we are never enough on our own, ever. And so the thief cries out, And Jesus, the covenant promise. This is what Jesus says. He answers him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Three simple things here. Remember, the the thief knew he was getting what he deserved. But Jesus shows mercy. That's the first word here, mercy. Mercy not getting what I do deserve. I mean, he deserved the death because of all the criminal activities he had done. But, but he was shown mercy in that he didn't get what he deserved, and that is eternity apart from God. Remember, the Bible says that our sins have condemned us, that the wages of sin is death that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. That's your case, and that's my case. That's what the Scriptures declare. But God in His mercy, Christ in His mercy says, you don't have to do that. Uh, You don't have to get that because of what I do for you. And so with the thief here, the mercy shown, it it can't be works-based because he's hanging there on the cross. He can't do anything. Not going to church because he can't go to church. Can't be religious or do religious acts because he's hanging on the cross. The mercy is shown very simply because God shows mercy not giving us what we do deserve. Jesus shows grace when he says, I tell you the truth today, I will be... You will be with me in paradise. Grace. Definition there. Grace. Getting what I don't deserve. I don't deserve forgiveness of sin on my own. I don't deserve a relationship with the God of the universe. I don't deserve eternal life with him. But God in his grace gives that to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so he shows grace. This crazy grace that I can't do anything of my own. I can't bring anything to the table. There's nothing I can do. And that was the case of the thief. There's nothing he could do. He couldn't bring anything. He couldn't do anything. He's on the cross, right? Don't forget that. And yet, grace is shown. Nothing that he can bring. And the last word is forgiveness. 
I define forgiveness in this case like this, not being held accountable any longer for your sin, that is. Never to be remembered, your sins, never to be remembered. Sins are totally removed. The psalmist says your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And this is not something we do on our own. It's not something that we've done. It's what Christ has done for us. His payment for our sin on the cross. And so this forgiveness is without condition. There are no conditions. I'm going to give it to you, Jesus says. It is not uh, with continued judgment. It's not, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to keep holding this, this rock over you because of what you're like. It's not that. It is without end. It is continual. He continually forgives us because of his grace and mercy. You see, the thief couldn't do anything about that either. He's on the cross. He couldn't do any sort of work, any sort of penance, anything. He couldn't say, well, I'll serve you the rest of my life because he's going to die in a couple of hours. But the forgiveness was there. Crazy grace. And that was Jesus' response. Because he believed, because the thief believed, he had redemption. He had the Redeemer. Nothing that he could do it was all that Christ did for him. This was one of the greatest rescues of all time of souls. A man who was so far gone in his life and in his sins that he was being executed. There was no hope for him. But then, in the nick of time, he meets Jesus. He believes Jesus. He trusts in Jesus. And what happened? The great rescue. Jesus promised him, as you look at the scriptures, life eternal. You'll be with me in paradise. Not by works, because he couldn't do anything. Not by religion, because religion cannot ever save. But by grace. Grace alone. Crazy grace. That's the rescue. And you look at this today and remember that that grace was shown to you. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have experienced that same grace, that same mercy, that same forgiveness as the thief did. The mercy that God gave you was the same in the mercy he gave to the thief. The grace he gave is yours. Forgiveness is yours forever. Not because of what you have done, but because there was a time in your life you were desperate and you knew that you needed Christ, and you embraced him. And by faith, you became a child of God. And you understand something about the great rescue. If you haven't trusted Christ, well, let me say this. You may think you're too bad. Well, first of all, I'm not sure you're as bad as the thief on the cross, whatever he did. But maybe you are. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Christ offers his life for you as well. You need to come to the place where you realize your sin has condemned you. You probably already know that. Know this also that Christ paid the penalty for that. And he offers you 
total redemption, life in Him. Not because of who you are or what you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And He will rescue you. The Bible says, as many as receive Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those that believe on His name. And you can do that right where you sit right now. It's not about being religious. It's not about going to church. It's not about being good. It's about being desperate before God, saying, I need you. Great rescues. You know what? We thought, and I thought, we're going to have the Lord's table here. I thought this is a good time to remember him, isn't it? Because those of us who know Christ, we've come to that place. And so we're going to do that. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, remembering the great rescue that he has given to us.